This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Welcome to episode four of Bobcast. I'm Andrew. I'm Caleb. I'm Mark. Today we are finishing our discussion of chapter one of Herman Bovink's The Wonderful Works of God, just released by Westminster Seminary Press. We're picking up on page five. In previous episodes, we've been wrestling with the question of man's highest good. In episode three, we talked about science and philosophy and how they do not provide the answers to that question. He also turns to man's creative functions in talking about art. He shows here on the second paragraph here on page five, art is therefore the first place in evidence of man's ability to do and make. This ability is spiritual in character and it gives expression to his deep longings, his high ideals, and his insatiable craving for harmony. So there's this whole beauty aspect too. There's this whole uh, creative aspect, this whole aspect that we get to engage a little bit in what God has done in creating the universe and creating us, we we get to somehow participate in that. And and this is a sign of of who we are in God, of who we are in the image of God. We've looked at here through Bob Inc. the question of truth, of true wisdom. We've looked at this question of morality or of justice. And now this this idea of beauty, beauty in the world, which is something that I think um, perhaps many Christians don't think too much on, this theological category really of, of beauty beauty, glory. Bobbing speaks of this in terms of art and man's capacity to create an art. Yeah, as, as he says here, art is therefore in the first place an evidence of man's ability to do and make, and that this ability is spiritual in character, and it gives expression to his deep longings, his high ideals, and his insatiable craving for harmony. We get to engage in in this act of creation that God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, the Logos who who spoke everything into existence. We get to engage in that and we get to create harmonies and we get to be creative and, and we get to exercise our dominion in this. It, he says, thus a beauty is disclosed, which in this fallen world has been obscured by the wise, but is discovered to the simple eye of the artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Say it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is. It is. <laughs> I know. I'm a broken record. Hit the reprise. <laughs> I think on the flip side of that, though, realizing that Bob Inc. wrote this in 1907, if you look at what has happened in the arts since then... There seems to be two trajectories that are working simultaneously. You see a trend in the arts towards godlessness in that nowadays it's very difficult to be in the arts, at least be successful and famous and well-known in the arts while also, I mean, being a Christian and, and standing for Christian ethics and values. And yet you notice that as time goes on, art seems to gradually become more like bizarre and distorted and more like trying to push limits instead of trying to make what is beautiful, trying to make instead what is deviant. 
Well, I, I've seen this before seminary. I worked seven years in graphic design departments as a senior level designer and art director and everything. And it is hard. It's hard to navigate those things in the way that I found that you can kind of work a good life in design, I guess, an okay life, make make enough to you know put food on the plate of your family and keep a roof over your heads is to work in Christian publishing. But even there, I find that it really becomes, you know, how do you sell this better? How do you um, do this better? And, and, and everybody wants to, to put something out there under the guise of, of Christianity or say you're you're in the secular side of things. You, you're absolutely right, Andrew. And it really shouldn't surprise us because, you know, as we read at the top of the of, of page five, for knowledge without virtue, without a moral basis becomes an instrument in the hands of, of sin. The same is true mm-hmm. of art. The depraved artists can work to turn people away from God just as much as the Christian artist is trying to bring him glory. And it's when we can tap into those things of God that we see here at the bottom of this paragraph, that we can fill hearts with hope and joy, as long as that is working towards kind of a, a, a Godward direction. But but you're absolutely right. Society has taken art, it has fallen apart. Um, you know, when we look at discussions about the sacred canopy and, and things like that, you know, when the Christianese of America fell to the wayside in the 1960s, uh, things with like sexual revolution, for instance, you know, the the impact of modernism on the culture as a whole, you know, you definitely see that movement of, of art from kind of realistic representations of things to more of the erotic and the violent. And it's just to show you what's true of knowledge is true of art in this regard. And man's attempt to do something with it uh, is skewed by how they view God and how they view themselves. Right. I mean, I mean, art, I think it's creating reveals something about its creator, just as this creation, this this universe does in some way in a, in a general way reveal something about the Lord, its maker, the art that fallen humans create reveals a little something about about the creators, about our fallen humanity. I think, too, there can be a temptation when we look at the world around us and we see things, be they the sciences or art or philosophy or all these things being used so frequently and being used in the mainstream for evil, we can be tempted to want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, well, Mm -hmm. it's just all bad. Ah, We don't want to deal with the arts because arts is just where all the the problems are coming from. We're saying with the sciences, we become anti-science, anti-intellectual. What Bavink, I think, is trying to bring out here is he's bringing up the idea that these things in themselves, they're only as good or as bad as, as how they're used. Right. They, they can be used virtuously. They can be used in the service of that true knowledge, which the true knowledge only comes from God, or they can be used in the service of evil. So we shouldn't be rushing to conclusions of, well, the arts are evil or the sciences are evil or philosophy is evil, but we need to see to it that we seek to use them rightly and chase after them in in situations where they are being used rightly. Absolutely. To continue on in that art piece, what he what he said, you know, art is much, but it's not everything. Art cannot reconcile for sin. It cannot cleanse us of our pollution. And it is not able even to dry our tears in the griefs of this life. These things are not ends in and of themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they are good and wonderful things often. I was thinking, uh, you know, you look around on the internet a little bit uh, recently with the shelter in place policies due to uh, the coronavirus. Uh, there's a number of 
free virtual uh, tours of museums from all around the world. There's libraries opening up resources for drama and, and literature and music, you know, various streaming services as well um, of uh, entertainment as a sub-branch of art. Streaming services are making other things available for consumers. Um, and I think that there's a nice thing as a whole. We do enjoy seeing art in, in these little products of culture. They're just, the, the point is they're just not a lasting source of satisfaction. Right. As he says, it shows us the glory of Cain and it shows us the promised land from a distance. It can't take us there. It can reflect something of this eternal longing in us, but it, it can't bring us to God. Right. And for that matter, neither can uh, can culture, uh, as he picks up in that ne next section, mm -hmm. culture, civilization, humanitarianism. And I, I want you to follow this flow of thought here of what Bobbing's been pointing at. He, he went he, he, he was talking about this overall large broad term of highest good and knowledge. He goes down to speaking a little bit more about wisdom and then philosophy, the study of truth. He goes next into ethics, morality. He goes into art, the beautiful. And now he's going into uh, theories of kingdom. All these things are various, if you will, institutions, various facets of life that, that God has put in place from the very beginning. You know, and here, Bob Ingus is pointing out, well, human kingdoms, human civilizations also aren't going to give us a fulfillment. Human governments uh, and administrations, are, they, they can be good. They can be bad. In either case, they're not going to save us ultimately. Right. They can all have their own value and they all have their own place and they all have their own purpose. But as far as being man's highest good, they... Bavink walks through them one by one, and they're all weighed and found wanting. Yeah, I mean, we, we can certainly praise the civil authorities. As he, he notes towards the bottom uh, here on, on that, that last paragraph, page five. Uh, in his time, 1907, we have some right to speak of a kind of progress in humanitarian ideas, development and uh, booming of business, uh, the care of the poor and the sick, widows and the orphans. There is a, spent, uh, a spirit of tenderness and mercy in his age that uh, could be applauded. And in our time as well, I think there, there's there's definitely uh, aspects we can be very, very appreciative of in culture. We don't necessarily have to be afraid of aspects of civilization. Right. But but at that same token, he continues on, on the top there of page six. But right alongside of this, our present time shows us such a fearful pageantry of gruesome vice, of mammonism, that is, that is of, of the want of riches and wealth prostitution, alcoholism, and like abominations, that we are embarrassed to answer the question whether we are moving forwards or backwards. Mm -hmm. And just think mm -hmm. about that for in our context today. Do we know where we're going? Are we going forwards? Are we going backwards? You look at all those Gallup polls, all those various surveys that are done, and you, you know, you're asking the average American today, hey, is the future brighter than, than the past was? And, and a lot of people are saying no. Like, can you even imagine what this current situation with the coronavirus is doing. Where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Are we getting better every way and every day? Not really. I don't think you'd really find that many Americans, at least in our context, being Americans, that, that would say, yeah, things are, things are really looking up. 2020 has been a rough year and we're only into April now. Right. It's so fascinating when we think about the time that we do live in. I mean, we're we're in an Internet age. We're in an age of information and technology. Uh, we're recording this at such a large distance, unthought of in millennia 
before our time. I mean, even even uh, maybe 30 years ago with the availability of the internet in most home or in, in some homes, I mean, think about your dial-up connection back then. <laughs> but also think, I mean, the innovation of the printing press. The internet is like the printing press of our age, yet there we see quite a lot of misery with with all this globalization, all this social connectivity. We do. Well, what's interesting, too, is on one hand, yeah, we do have this spirit of tenderness and mercy, this attempt. Like, people know they want to be virtuous, and they would certainly want to have the appearance of being virtuous. And we live in our social media age where we even have virtue signaling where I need to let you know how virtuous I am. Right at the same time, you have people, you know, they'll pick and choose their virtues because they could be virtuous in one sense and yet on another sense, they're mixed up in some of the vilest of things that you could think of. It's And again, it's because it's not rooted in the understanding of God, not rooted in the law of God, uh, in his ways, right. in his statutes by which we are to walk in right. as his creature, as being made in his image. Right. Well, and also, too, I think this line is really important. Be that as it may, this much is sure that if the life of service for humanity, of love for the neighbor is not rooted in the law of God, it loses its force and its character. You can use love, the concept of love, the concept of love of neighbor, basically as a hammer to try to justify anything you want. Mm -hmm. If it's not moored to an absolute standard that is the law of God. Right. It's it's my choice, my my rights. And you you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Without it being rooted in the law of God, it it becomes self-gratification, really. And it could even become harm and injustice toward others, even when it's meant for good. We can do more harm and damage to our neighbors in in ignoring sins sometimes. Right, right. And he says, moreover, such a love of the neighbor frequently gets little support from the neighbor himself. When when it's this kind of love, your neighbor doesn't care in the first place. Like, Like, they're just vain platitudes that are feeding your own ego it's a fascinating thing because it's like everybody wants love uh wants to receive love but i believe andrew's already said it what really is love do we know it without the revelation of the spirit that last sentence you know indeed the love for the neighbor can maintain itself only if on the one hand it is based on and laid upon us by the law of god and only if on the other hand that same god grants us the desire to live uprightly according to all his commandments so mm-hmm. so when we do it because we're Christian and that's what we do in gratitude to our Lord and Savior, that's where love becomes real. That's where the rubber meets the road. Right. You uh, command us to love, Lord. Therefore, teach me to love. Absolutely. Only God can teach us. And it's because of your love to me that I'm loving my neighbor, that I'm loving the people that you have placed in my life. Not because of what they do for me, but because you first loved me. Right. And on that note, I mean, this is where Bobby goes into that conclusion of this chapter uh, referencing Augustine. Man will not find rest until it rests in the Father, until it rests in God. But then there's a, a enormous irony and enormous tragedy in that we don't seek after God, or rather, we're seeking after God in all the wrong places, in anywhere but where he might be. We, we flee from him. Absolutely. 
You know, we've looked at all these various virtues, all these various things that can be good and used for good, and he's not in any of them. And I think Bavink just drives this point home so well. They seek him down below, and he is up above. They seek him on the earth, and he is in heaven. They seek him afar, and he is nearby. They seek him in money, in property, in fame, in power, and in passion, and he is to be found in the high and holy places. And with him, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. But they do seek him, if haply they might feel after him and find him. They seek him, and at the same time, they flee him. I mean, that that's so poignant. I was going to say beautiful, but I figured it'd be redundant. <laughs> That is the state of our present situation. I mean, he he wrote this 113 years ago, guys. Like this is this is insane. It's funny you say that because I wrote in my notes next to this paragraph here in 1907 exclamation <laughs> point. He was saying this all the way back then and yet it so perfectly captures our present age. It really does. That that and uh, we also have to note how he began this uh, last section. He's starting off from the basis of Augustine. Right. So we're, we're talking the same uh, Augustine understanding. Man will not find rest until it, he finds rest in God all the way back in the fifth century. Only in the knowledge of God can we truly have knowledge of ourselves. As he drives home in the very last sentence of this chapter, man is an enigma. Man is a mystery whose solution can only be found in God. Yeah, you're not going to find it anyplace else. But now, finally... Having ended chapter one, four episodes later, we're left with another question. How do we know God? Well, that's, thankfully, exactly the issue that chapter two seeks to answer. So join us again next time on Bobcast, and we will begin chapter two on the knowledge of God. We'll sign off for now, reminding you to, how do you say it? Those Dutch words? Eat smaklik. Eat smaklik? Yep. And tote zines. And tote zines. I just made a Dutch word. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobcast. That's B-A-V-Cast. You can email us at bobcast at gmail.com. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Visit reformedpodcast.com or subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you.